0: Hey, right. where are you want me with this? Start 40 feet out. It's more than the length of the room. Who's doing the honors? Me. Flip that switch. Turns it on. Twist this here. That's your power control. All right. Everybody ready? Yeah. Okay. Fire in the hole. That seemed like an appropriate way to start season one, episode one of the Breaking Beta podcast.
1: I get like um, quite the fan.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And that's a great scene, too. I really wanted to just put magnets, bitch, in here, but (laughs) but decided not to, Um, though, I guess I just put it in here. Uh, I find
1: its way in at some point.
0: Yeah, I think this is probably the the most famous, most cited paper in all of climbing. Would you agree with that?
1: I would say so. It's a, definitely at least one of them. I remember back when it first got published. Pretty quickly after it was published, it was being shared around everywhere. Everyone was talking about it. I think you know a lot of climbers just psyched to see some a formal research paper get published on training for climbing because I think it was the first of its kind, really, that I can remember. I'm sure there's yeah. some out there, but
0: as far as I know, it was. And we're talking about Ava Lopez's first uh, research study that came out with the transgression and progression boards, or at least around the same time. And as far as I know, it was the first time we really saw a systematic hangboard as well. Like hang boards before that seemed to just have a random assortment of holds and Ava really made it like a stepwise progression sort of a board. And this study came out with it. So I think that excited people as well.
1: Mm-hmm. It was definitely a cool kind of look forward into what climbing training has become over the last nine years. Is that my math right on that? Something like that?
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so the, the official title of this paper is the effects <clears throat> of two maximum grip strength training methods using the same effort duration and different edge depth on grip endurance and elite climbers. Authors are Eva Lopez-Rivera and Juan Jose Gonzalez-Badillo. And uh, the purpose of the paper, I'll just, I'll read what they've got here in the paper. Um, I think this sums it up really well. Uh, The aim of this research was to determine the effects of two different strength training methods in which either the edge depth or the added weight is variable Carried out in a different order over grip endurance on an exercise specific of climbing on a group of elite climbers. Uh, Something I thought was really interesting here before we jump into talking about the paper is that when they state the aim of it, they're asking about grip endurance. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't a asking about strength paper at all. It was more how long can you hold on?
1: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they kind of dug up throughout the course of that study.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's jump into this thing. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I'm Paul Corsaro. I'm Chris Hampton. Lucky two guys but just guys, okay?
1: And you're listening to Breaking Beta.
0: Where we explore and explain the science of climbing. And with our skills, you'll earn more ever would on your own we've got work to do are you ready? Ready ready, ready 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 i'm ready are you dude i am chomping at the bit here i'm i'm so excited i've had so much fun reading through these papers for days and days spending hours on it instead of like a cursory look and just making a quick knee-jerk decision from that 100 mm-hmm. um,
1: percent. all the highlights all the notes all the things.
0: Yeah, first let's uh, let's talk about the methods used in this study. In a scenario
1: like this, I don't suppose it is bad form to just flip
0: a coin. So they had uh, the the people who finished the study anyway. There were nine sport climbers. Correct. Um, eight men, one woman, which is a little bit unfortunate that they only had one woman. Mm-hmm. Um. And their level was at 13B, 8A or higher. Um, So pretty elite sport climbers here. And they haven't done any dead hang training for two months prior.
1: I thought that was a really smart little inclusion criteria for the people in the study. Because, you know, especially people that grade or who've been climbing and have that level of experience. A lot of them are training going through a training cycle. So I could see it getting really confusing pretty quickly. If you had people coming in like all different levels of train status from where they're at. So I thought that was a really cool way of, uh, kind of standardizing the people coming in and making sure they weren't going to have any confusing hidden variables in there.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it, it sort of seems like if you took just beginner climbers, um, A, you're going to see some wild gains regardless. Almost anything helps, you know, so having more experienced climbers makes it so you can at least guess that you're dialing down what it is that's that's showing gains or not, you know, so I thought that was smart.
1: And not just climbing, you know, 13B around, but they had everyone had been climbing for at least five years, too. So that was another kind of control that was I thought was great.
0: Mm hmm. Super, super smart. I I wonder if today it would be harder to find a group of 13 B or stronger climbers who hadn't done any dead hang training for two months prior.
1: That's a really good question. Um, I'm sure there'd be some, but it'd probably be pretty tough, especially with how, you know, well incorporated hangboarding is and uh, the idea of training for climbing. It's almost a part with everything.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, The researchers (laughs) created a device uh, to measure. And it's essentially, at the time, it was kind of a new thing, but it's essentially an adjustable wooden edge. Um, And we we see quite a few of these today, but but they did make it so all the edges, you're hanging on the same edge. It's just different depths, um, which I think is pretty smart as well.
1: Pretty, yeah simple yet super effective design, just two wood blocks and a little screw you could turn to just dial in the edge depth. So Mm -hmm. simple, but effective. I like that.
0: Yep. And they, they did initial tests to see their strength, their endurance, um, and then they split them into two groups. Um, and the two groups, the way they trained was, and maybe we should explain this a little bit before we jump into any more of the study. Group A went from minimum edge depth training to maximum added weight. And group B went from maximum added weight to minimum edge depth. And I will probably just call those maximum weight or minimum edge or mall or med as we go through this. So just, just so people know what we're talking about here and minimum edge depth essentially was what's the smallest edge you can hang on for the given amount of time. Maximum added weight is the edge size stays static and we're adding weight to, to increase the load. So
1: And the training they used, we thought it was cool because it was, you know, one of the first, Instances in climbing training where you see people using a subjective measure to kind of guide how hard you make things. Mm -hmm. So they always use that kind of three seconds in reserve as their guideline. And if they felt like they were below that three seconds in reserve, they'd increase the intensity either by making the edge smaller if you were the uh, the med group, or adding some weight if you were the maximum added weight group. So I thought that was cool to see. So I've been using in my training a little bit more of that as of late. So it's been around for a while. It's cool to see.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's that the idea of auto regulation, though, you know, they don't name it that in this paper. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> very, it, I thought that was interesting to look back and see that that's how they did it during the study as well. So
1: Another thing I thought was cool about the testing was for both the maximum matter weight or for the strength test and for the endurance <laughs> test, uh, they stopped the test when the uh, participant yeah. started flexing the elbows or lifting their legs. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah, that was I thought cool. That was, was- interesting. Cause I've been, you know, we've all been there hanging on an edge and you're trying hard and I'll tell you what, my
0: elbows flex and my legs lift sometimes. So. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, if we look at all the images of people on Instagram hanging, they're like 90 degrees or more pulled up with their elbows, their knees are up by their chest, they're in a little ball. Um, Why do you think they stopped the test like that?
1: Uh, I think maybe it could have been, you know, we're all hypothesizing on what someone else is thinking here. So I don't really know why, but I would say maybe A, for safety purposes. So someone's not about to blow off of an edge trying to get that extra, Mm -hmm. you know, second or so. Because I know they have to pass a review board and all that. So they have to manage risk as much as possible. And maybe it just, excuse me, maybe it just controls a little better for For numbers, you know, some people might be better at fighting and hanging on that last second, and maybe they're falling out of that half grimp and they start dragging. I think maybe just picking a cutoff point before that starts to happen might have just kept things a little cleaner for them.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I also considered, you know, since this was one of the first studies into hangboarding, maybe they were hypothesizing, as I am about what they were thinking, um, that if they're pulling up, they're getting muscles involved rather than just the finger strength, um, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to give them that help. So, um, smart to you know have a place where they say here's here's where it ends. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> One last note on the testing that I thought was also pretty cool. Just another really good job of controlling for everything was how they had to the participants do that light training session two days before testing. So everyone's mm-hmm. kind of coming in at the same kind of rested, recovered level, too.
0: Yep, and they understand the the <clears> testing <throat> and what all is going to be happening. So I'm just going to run through kind of the the schedule that everyone followed, uh, just so we we know here. It was essentially a 14 week study. Um, week one and two they tested. Um, so week one was kind of a pretest. Week two. They, they test and they take the, I think they took the stronger of those two tests from each person. And then weeks one through four, they started with just three hangs of 10 seconds and three minutes in between each hang. And they did that twice a week. Um, they moved to four in week two, five in week three and week four. Mm-hmm. So, not a whole lot of hanging um but really intense hanging with long rests in between and and remember there were two groups one that started with minimum edge depth one was started with maximum added weight and then week five they did another test week six through nine they flipped so the maximum added weight group was using minimum edge the minimum edge group started using maximum added weight Week 10, they tested again. And week 11, they started resting from the hangboard training. And then they tested again week 12 and week 14. So, everybody kind of went through the same cycle. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I thought it was well-designed mm-hmm. too because, you know, you had multiple tests throughout the whole, the whole cycle. So, it wasn't just one test in the beginning and one test 14 weeks later. So, you get kind of a cool window into maybe some of the processes that are happening throughout the whole program.
0: Mm -hmm. One thing I was a little confused about and not necessarily confused, but I wish this had been controlled more though. I understand why it couldn't be. Um, They note in the study that the participants also trained six days a week, two to four hours a day, consisting of Boulder endurance and or power endurance training with sets of three to 90 moves at 70 to a hundred percent of maximum sport level. So they were all doing training that Ava had devised. But when I read this, I was like, well, that can encompass my entire climbing career sets of three to 90 moves at 70 (laughs) to a hundred percent of maximum sport level. That's everything I've ever rock climbed.
1: Right. Yeah. A little bit of (laughs) variability, maybe there. Um, I think it did have a good, element of that and that still Ava was overseeing all of that. So it wasn't like, all right, here's rough guidelines, go do your own thing. So I think that might've helped a little bit with controlling some of the, the variability that might've been happening outside of the uh, hangboard training.
0: Yeah, I think so. The, the issue I had is that everybody kind of comes in at a different level there. So, you know, the endurance training for one person might be affecting Someone differently than the other person and making them more fatigued or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. I, we don't know how Ava controlled it. And that's, that's the only thing in the methods that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit.
1: Would you think that happening though, might show that the results we're going to discuss later have a little bit wider uh, applicability to everybody? Because, you know, when people are doing hangboard training, they're not all going to be doing the same climbing training too.
0: Mm, so that yeah. might
1: reflect just a little bit of effect on people who are doing different things. So
0: yeah, more more real world application mm-hmm. instead of instead of the super like um, stringent. If, dry if you're getting a hangboard, you have
1: to do this climbing program.
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. <clears throat> All right. Um, before we jump into Is there anything else in the methods you want to talk about? Um, Maybe the here's something I thought was interesting and I thought was really smart, actually, is that they didn't test on the same size edges edge that they were hanging on for training. Um, The maximum added weight training was done on a. I think it was 18, I think. Uh, yeah, they trained on eighteen. They tested so they, on fifteen. They tested on fifteen. I thought that was actually really smart um, because we've seen over time that you can train for the test if yep. you're if you're really used to hanging on one size edge, then when you go and retest on that edge, you will hang on it better. Um, yep. So you're maybe not getting strength gains or or strength results as much as you are just adapt adapting to that edge results.
1: yeah, improving coordination coordination, if you will, as opposed to just, yeah, getting stronger. So yeah, I thought that was cool too. That was a good good point to make. Not just teaching the test, if you will.
0: <clears throat> yeah. I did think it was interesting that they tested endurance on the eleven millimeter.
1: I wonder maybe just because they had pretty advanced climbers that Mm -hmm. especially in their, they were using sport climbing grades. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming these are mostly high level sport climbers. Maybe, you know, you use a bigger edge. That's going to be a long test. People want to hang on to that edge for forever.
0: That's true. That's true. We do see. Uh, in our testing that we do, we do see some athletes, uh, particularly sport climbers, in that range who can hold on to a 18 or 20 millimeter edge for a long, long time.
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe that just simplified the testing some. And because I know they also did in the testing, they chose the weight increments for the maximum added weight uh, for increasing eight or increasing weight. They may, yeah they so progressive attempts are made with weight in increments of five to ten kilograms according to the participants cast capacity, because they wanted to keep the number of hangs below five in order to reduce fatigue. Mm -hmm. So maybe they also didn't want someone to hang for, you know, 90 seconds on an edge and just be blasted for whatever else they had planned that day too.
0: Yeah, that's true. No, I think overall the, the methods going (laughs) in were pretty damn smart. Mm -hmm. Um, Also this paper, this is just a side note here. But this paper, because we're Americans and we use the – you know, we're the only people who use the ridiculous inches and feet and all of that. This paper and this hangboard was the one that made me fluent in millimeters.
1: 235 <laughs> M&M tube furnaces. It's MM millimeter.
0: So – I, I, I credit it for moving me into the next century.
1: <laughs> Just got to know that 2.205 multiplication factor for kilograms too. And then you're set.
0: <laughs> that, that I'm not nearly as good with yet. That's why I have my iPhone. All right. Uh, let's take a break and then we'll be back with the results and the verdict. Please. All right. I really need a break here. Okay. You're listening to this super nerdy podcast, so I can only assume that you're interested in improving your climbing. Well, good news. You're in luck. Yes, science! We have training options for nearly every level climber in nearly every situation, from general prep to fully custom, from ebooks to weekly plans delivered via mobile app. Visit powercompanyclimbing.com slash beta for more info. And while you're there, check out Kettlebells for Climbers too. Now available as either an ebook or a proven plan. The follow up to our wildly popular Kettlebells for Climbers plan that started so many climbers down the path to being stronger, better prepared, and more athletic. So I'll go back to work for Christ's sake, okay? okay. All right, we are back from break and ready to jump into the results and the verdict. Right here to sit in judgment. Why not? The thing is, if you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? Whatever you think is supposed to happen, I'm telling you, the exact reverse opposite of that is going to happen. That's pretty much science, the exact reverse opposite of what you think (laughs) is going to happen may very well happen.
1: Is the exact reverse opposite the same thing though? We got a bit of a double negative.
0: (laughs) I I think it might be. Um, The number one thing that came out of this that I take away, and and let me start by saying, I have heard some wild extrapolations from this study. Um, People taking it way out of context. And having talked to Ava myself, she also that also makes her nervous that people are constantly just saying, well, this is the best, this is the only way, or or just drastically extrapolating from this study. But the first thing that that came out of this for me is that the mall to med, the maximum added weight to minimum edge depth, is a better sequence than minimum edge depth to maximum added weight. And that goes for both strength and for Endurance, ultimately.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think if I remember correctly, the Malta Med was the only one that had the statistically significant jump in both Mm -hmm. strength and endurance.
0: Right? Yeah, I I think that's right. And I mean, for me, that's the (laughs) biggest takeaway. And it ended up showing that there's a highly significant correlation between strength and endurance, which Mm -hmm. was something that a lot of people knew already. But I think this paper sort of cemented that in climbers' minds as far as finger strength goes. Like if our fingers get stronger, oh, yeah, common sense, we can hold on for longer. But,
1: but yeah, and, you know, if <clears throat> common sense needs to be tested and needs to be backed up. So that was really cool to see in a formal structured study that what everyone – and, you know, we had seen this in general, general physical training that if you get stronger – your capacity to endure should increase to a point. So it was good to see that also apply to an extremely specific climbing test because very other sports, if any, maybe Ninja Warrior now, hang from a small edge on their fingers (laughs) and need to increase that. I can't think of any other one that had something similar. So,
0: yeah, I mean, maybe like furniture movers who are trying to pick up a dresser that only has a little tiny lip. Competitive moving. (laughs) Competitive furniture moving. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Yeah, and I also wonder if like this statement that strength and endurance are highly correlated didn't start some people down the path of, oh, we don't really need to train endurance. We we can just train strength.
1: You you're Which, talking to me, I think. I think I tried to do this for a while. <laughs> then I tried to sport climb. I was like, yeah, it's not going to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I I think it's a you could get the wrong idea from that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But I think, you know, everything was put together really well. Um, I think another important part of the results is when they did look for significant differences between the groups before everything started. There was no significant differences there. So everyone started from mm-hmm. a pretty even playing field. One testing group wasn't significantly higher than the other or starting out with a lead per se. So things were organized really well. And I think that gives some credence to the results that came out of this. I think it's a pretty meaningful result that can be used.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I plotted these on a graph, like I just plotted the means, I didn't plot the standard deviations at all. I just wanted a a line graph for people to look at um, that you all will be able to see on the Instagrams. If you go there, the result was pretty strikingly different. Um, It's one thing to read all the numbers and, you know, look at this paper. It's another to see it plotted on a graph. Um, The mall to med group had a a drastically different result than the med to mall group. Um, Another thing I thought was super interesting was that the mall to med group, after a couple weeks of rest at the end of the training, they saw a strength increase. Mm-hmm. um, due to that rest, which, you know, we know as super compensation, the med to mall group, however, did not. And, you know, that could be from the fatigue of hanging on the small edges, who knows, but I do think that's super, super interesting.
1: It'd be interesting to consider how the mall to med group addressed more nervous system elements of changes Mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning and those seem to be sometimes a bit more reactive to changes in training load compared to the med group which maybe got more into more connective tissue maybe less of an input into the nervous system Mm
0: -hmm. which might have led to the
1: differences there i'm just kind of spitballing here but that could be interesting to explore
0: yeah you know i think i think that's an interesting thing to point out that like spitballing these things is a really important part of it. It's when we spitball something and then we spit it out as fact that it becomes this wild extrapolation <laughs> that that we hear people constantly doing. Look it up in science. So, not a big fan of that like let's just spit out all of these ideas as fact. Um
1: Another thing I thought was interesting, um, so when they look for the correlations between the tests, the results of the tests, it says it's nearly significant until they control for body weight. So, Mm. I thought that was interesting, how they controlled for body weight and things became significant. And to make a wild extrapolation, a boulder or a root doesn't control for body weight. Totally. So, I wonder why it wasn't really significant until you controlled for body weight and that made it significant. Was that just a statistical element or could there be some truth in there that could be be unpacked with further studies?
0: Yeah, good question. I mean, certainly talking about weight is kind of a, a trigger for a lot of people right now, but climbing is a strength to weight ratio sport, no matter how you look at it. The important thing I think is just to remember that there's the strength part of that ratio. Um, you don't always just have to control the weight. You can also control your strength. Um, but I, sure. I, I do think that's really interesting. And there's also the idea that this was a really small group.
1: Yes. I think um, they mentioned that like four times mm-hmm. in this paper. Like, hey, like, like you said, yeah. don't swing for the fences right away. This is a very small uh, very small sample size. That's how we can make the study better. Maybe in the future is have more people in the study and get a better yep. uh, result.
0: Yeah, they're really aware of it. And they point out that it might just be that we have so few people and that's why our statistics are, are showing up the way they are. And if we had more people, we'd have a better idea statistically what all of these things mean.
1: I think um, I, you touched on that earlier when you said you were talking to Ava about this study, how she was like, this doesn't say this is always the best method. It's for these people, for this study, this showed right. to be the better group. I think she was touching on that. Like this is a yeah small sample size. So this is a very specific example of one comparison between two methods.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you haven't heard that episode, it's on the Power Company podcast, episode 118. Um one of the like near and dear to my heart episodes on there because Ava was really reticent at first. She was like, my English isn't going to be good enough. And I'm like, yes, it is. We're fine. Let's, let's just try it, you know? And if we don't want to put it out, we don't have to, but it was so much fun. And, and I really loved talking to her and hearing how, how common sense and down to earth she was about her own science rather than being like oh yeah i just you know made all these discoveries and here's what this means and we were in a big group of people she was giving a presentation uh the day before and everybody was like well which do you think is better to do this or to do this you know and she's like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) There, there there is no better necessarily you know and Everybody else wanted her to just have all the answers, but she was totally okay being like, my study says this, and that's not all the answers.
1: When it comes down to it, N equals one all the time. That's why, you know, when you're working right. with an individual athlete, you've got these checks in where every couple of weeks you'll pick a measure and maybe recheck it and just make sure things are going the way you want to go. Mm-hmm. So everything's totally. always an experiment.
0: Um, I was surprised at the amount of detraining
1: mm-hmm. in
0: in the study. Um, so, the, the last four weeks, they were just resting and I think it was the last four weeks. Mm-hmm. They were just resting and then they tested twice during that time and the detraining began pretty fast. Um, maybe, this is just my hypothesis, that shows the amount of training for the test that ends up involved in hangboarding.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it also shows, you know, if you do a hangboarding cycle and then you expect to just immediately go out and crush rock climbing and it doesn't happen, maybe there's something else involved too. There's skill, there's technique, there's taking that force that you need to apply into climbing outside Mm -hmm. of just hanging on an edge because you are getting stronger specifically there.
0: Totally. And if you're an elite climber, you know, your levels might drop back to... Your base level, whatever that was, fairly quickly. Um, so,
1: I mean, so the D training—if yeah. you look at the just the averages on the table, like they almost got worse than got, the first test. Yeah, yeah, which is really final, interesting.
0: The final result across the board was lower than the initial result. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I mean, if you were to just look at those numbers, uh, this was there at starting test this was the finishing test and the numbers got worse your response should be i i am never going to hangboard it makes you worse (laughs) (laughs) yeah we flipped a coin okay totally i i am not interested in getting worse by hangboarding in fact (laughs) if i cut it out and stay better good
1: (laughs) yeah that is interesting i am curious i would be curious to see and i'm sure we'll look at more uh, further studies that maybe expand on this concept, because that is definitely something that makes you go, hmm, a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, I do know in the study they mentioned that the climbers were still doing their climbing training during those rest weeks from hangboarding. And that's quite a long period, mm-hmm. um, 14 weeks. So sure. it's entirely possible that they were just getting fatigued from all of the training at that point
1: especially if they're Um, doing 90 moves at 100% of their max
0: (laughs) I'm not sure I've done 90 moves in my entire climbing career (laughs) at 100% of my max and I'm not talking about in a row I'm talking about ever (laughs) (laughs) All right, um, let's move on to the application how you and I might see this being used I got all these little
1: pieces they're all part of the story right but they don't mean much on their own but when you
0: start telling me what you know we start filling in the gaps i'll have them and lock them before the sun goes down it's obvious to me number one that you want to be hanging with weight Um, yes if you're going to hang on small edges if that's a thing you think you need great do it after you've been hanging with weight that's the number one obvious takeaway
1: I think, you know, another thing I took away from it too, is this could be a really good minimal effective dose type program for Mm -hmm. hangboarding. Like it's not a lot Mm -hmm. of hangs. You can get done with it pretty quickly. Um, And so let's see the second strength test, which is about four weeks out, five weeks out. If you've got, you know, a trip coming up and you just feel like you need to shore up your finger strength, maybe four weeks of these 10 second hangs with three seconds in reserve. Uh, just building on the sets, similar to how they did in the study, that might be a good quick boost to that finger strength before you head out on your trip or something along those lines.
0: Yeah, that group that did the maximum added weight first at their their four week test or five week test or whatever it was had a massive strength increase. Yeah, huge. So, so super smart to use that as a as a tune up when you need it. Um, full disclosure: other-
1: so I haven't hung hung in two years probably and I just started hangboarding again and I'm actually doing this plan because it's simple it's low volume and it fits with all my other stuff I'm doing and it doesn't take a whole lot of time so rereading this paper kind of got me thinking about it again I'm gonna I think it's useful for someone in my situation so I think it's it's a good plan
0: yes science (laughs) hell yeah I I think so too and I think it also lets us know, and this goes back to the, like, strength correlated with endurance, but don't go straight to training endurance in all situations where it appears your endurance is lacking. Um, I think that's a, an important question to be asking, and I can look back at this study and say, well, maybe it's the strength that we need to increase to increase their endurance. And I I think there are some markers that you should look at. Um, We'll talk about that another time. Um, And we've talked about it on the power company podcast a lot. Um, But don't go straight to training endurance when it appears that that's what failed. Yeah.
1: Strength could definitely be that hidden, hidden parking brake. You need to release more Mm -hmm. than just living in endurance world.
0: Totally. Um, small edges, entirely acceptable to program. Um, it may not be as effective at building max strength, but the people who were hanging on the small edges did gain endurance, Mm -hmm. um, particularly on a relatively small edge on that 11 millimeter that they were testing on. Um, so I think this, this makes the statement, yeah, you can totally Program with small edges; they'll have a different use than programming with big edges and lots of weight.
1: Mm-hmm, very much so.
0: How do you use small edges in your programming?
1: And uh, I'll use it for either a progression from doing a kind of heavier weight added hang on larger edge. Maybe a mm-hmm. cycle after they run through all that, we'll do a cycle on smaller edges just to try hard on something a little bit different on the connected tissue, or if someone has smaller holes on their their project, we'll kind of incorporate those in. But uh, we usually live in that 15 to 20 mil Mm -hmm. edge size, sometimes Mm -hmm. up at 25, depending on the person. But we kind of keep the smaller edge hangs to more project specific or climbing style specific goals.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the exact same as what I do. And I'll, Particularly, like you said, if it's specific to their project or the area they're climbing in, we'll add in some small edges just prior to getting outside. Um, Also, for pain tolerance training, Mm -hmm. I think it's super smart to have those little edges. I know from my own experience and from working with lots of clients that hanging on a big edge with a lot of weight is an entirely different type of pain tolerance than hanging on a tiny edge. and gaining that pain tolerance before you go out to your project and have to build it up there, super, super smart.
1: <clears throat> Unless you have the pain tolerance to hang on the uh, generation one uh, grindstone, those seven <laughs> mils, I think I've yeah. had that thing for five years and I still can't gather the willpower to pull off the ground on them.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I have my like original bare naked hangboard that I I posted on my blog eons ago, and it's got a quarter inch strip of wood that's pretty sharp. And it's like once a year or something. I'll pull it out and try to hang on that quarter-inch edge because it took me so long initially to be able to do it, and it's such a ego boost for me <laughs> when when I pull it out and I can just hang on it. <laughs> so I that's definitely a, a good measurement for me. Um, there is a phrase in the paper that. I just fucking love the way they wrote it. Um, it reads. Also, it is probably not convenient to quit maximum strength training with weight for more than two weeks. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <Yep. clears
1: throat> Always. And I think get that's something stronger.
0: we've. Yeah, we we've preached that a lot. Um, other other trainers preach that. Uh, Steve does. Natasha does. Um, And I I do think it's easy to take it overboard sometimes, you know, it's not the end all be all, but it is important to keep in the program, to keep loading heavy on your fingers.
1: I think, you know, you see that on climbing trips, right? You're on a long climbing trip and you stop specific Mm -hmm. training. You just don't have the materials to train with you. You usually come out of that climbing trip generally a little weaker. Like you're maybe better at rock climbing, but yeah, you feel weaker and I've had myself, I've had other people I work with mention that like, okay, you know, I went on a three month long road trip and at the end, you know, I was just kind of weak. Mm-hmm. I think that's a real world picture of that statement.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, that uh, I like that you just brought that up because when you're a relative beginner or when you're, you know, for some people climbing, even at the mid five twelve 12 level um, or like V five level, Um, You can still get stronger fingers from climbing. Um, It it certainly can still happen. Doesn't mean just by climbing, you're going to get stronger fingers. But remember the people in this study were climbing at a pretty high level. So it's unlikely that their fingers are just going to continue getting stronger, at least efficiently, just through climbing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point to make.
0: Yeah. And Last but not least for me on the subject of application is, man, I I said this before, Ava and I talked about it a lot. Um, We named that episode the best hangboard protocol because we were joking a lot that people kept saying, this is the best protocol. This is the only one backed by science. And Ava didn't test every protocol here. That's not what this study says is we looked at every hangboarding protocol and this is the one. This is just comparing two different protocols Um, and one of them won out. That's what happens when you compare two things, you know, so people take it way too far and go way beyond what this study actually says.
1: One other note to make just about the whole program I'll harp on <clears> as well as I really do like the subjective kind of intensity guidelines for the training that mm-hmm. seconds in reserve. It's funny. I, before I even revisited this paper about a month or six weeks ago, I, that just started showing up in my programming for myself and for other folks in the gym. And it's funny to go back and, you know, you always think you're stumbling across this new direction, but it's probably already been done before.
0: Yeah, totally. When I wrote our Fingers Plus program um, that's available on the website, I one of the first videos you get as the program is just a discussion on auto regulation and just saying, hey, if you if you come in and you feel silly strong and you can up the intensity, do that. If you aren't able to complete something or you feel like you're not going to be able to complete it drop the intensity a little bit. And then, you know, two reps later, if you're feeling like, oh, I was wrong, then raise the intensity back up. Just keep, keep adjusting and make it challenging for yourself at the appropriate level. That's really all it means.
1: 100%.
0: All right. uh, Anything else on this paper?
1: No, I think we've covered it. It's great paper. You know, I think it's very solid all the way through. Like it's, same. There's a reason it was shared around and everyone was psyched about it because it's, it's great.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think it's, it's a pretty simple result, um, but a needed result, especially mm-hmm. for the time when it came out, um, felt groundbreaking. Looking back on it, it still feels really, really relevant, um, especially for the folks who all of their training is hangboarding now. Um, we can look at this and say, oh, we can make gains with just a handful of hangs over a week. Mm-hmm. Um, Very so. much so. All right. Uh, you can find both Paul and I all over the internets by following the links in your show notes. And you can find Paul at his gym, Crux Conditioning in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you have questions, comments, or papers you'd like for us to take a look at, hit us up at community.powercompanyclimbing.com. You can also find that link right there in your show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and please tell all of your friends who are constantly telling you that their hang protocol is the number one best protocol that you have the perfect podcast for them. All right, we'll see you next week when we discuss finger pulp and whether or not you were born to be good at crimping.
1: See y'all then. It's done. You keep saying that and it's bullshit every time. Always. You know what? I'm done.
0: Okay? You and I, were done. Breaking Beta is brought to you by Power Company Climbing and Crux Conditioning and is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. For transcripts, citations, and more, visit powercompanyclimbing.com slash breaking beta. Let's not get lost in the who, what, and whens. The point is, we did our due diligence. Our music, including our theme song, Tumbleweed, is from legendary South Dakota band, Rifflord. This is it. This is how it ends.